When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The parties are divided in terms of the effect that the stimulus is going to have. This inflation debate has really been heating up the effect of what the Biden administration is spending on political capital. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. A group of centrists are the key senators to watch. Joe Biden, his number one focus in addition to the COVID health crisis is jobs. I don't think we have red roads and blue roads, and that's the way we're looking at this. Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. A lucky lineup. We check in with Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota to talk infrastructure. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We begin tonight with the big story Fed Day in the nation's capital. The chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, says that despite the sharp acceleration toward herd immunity, thanks to a ramped up COVID vaccine rate, the Fed will not be making any adjustments to interest rates anytime soon. Take a listen to the sound on this from Fed Chair Jay Powell. The path of the virus continues to be very important. We, we have these, um, you know, new strains with which, which can be very, quite virulent, uh, and we're not actually done yet. Meanwhile, did you see this interview that President Biden gave to ABC News's George Stephanopoulos? He was asked about whether or not he is going to increase taxes amongst earners earning or Americans earning more than four hundred thousand dollars. Take a listen to the sound on this from President Biden on taxes. Anybody making more than $400,000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. If you make less than $400,000, you won't see one single penny in additional federal tax. He went on to talk about the recently signed American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus plan, and the tax credits that are included in it. President Biden said that he's hoping Republicans will support future efforts to cut taxes for most other Americans. More on taxes from President Biden. I may not get a, uh, but I'll get the Democratic votes for a tax increase. If we just took the tax rate back to what it was when Bush was president, top rate paid 39.6% in federal taxes, that would raise $230 billion. Yet they're complaining because I'm providing a, a, a tax credit for child care. I mean, this interview was really, really expansive. And coming up, we're going to play a little bit more of that interview that President Biden did with uh, ABC News and what he had to say about Russia uh, in particular, geopolitics back in focus. But we begin again uh, with the economy. Earlier today, I was up on Capitol Hill for an exclusive conversation with Senator Kevin Kramer. He is a Republican from North Dakota. 
and he is a member of the Senate Banking Committee. And I asked him about the legislation that he introduced that would stop banks, he says, from discriminate, discriminating against legal industries, these FDIC banks that he says are unfairly forcing out some industries like coal, for example. I asked him to explain what the bill does through the prism of the current state of the economic economy that we find ourselves in and take a listen to what he told me. So what it would do is it would prohibit banks from creating categorical exclusions in industries, entire industries, firearms industry, fossil fuel, you know, carbon industries, um, private prisons, you know, industries that the banks, many banks, large banks, have categorically um, stated they are not going to support in the future. And uh, these are legal commerce. You know, th- th- these are profitable you know, companies. I'm just saying that you can't discriminate that way if you're an FDIC-insured bank. And if you do, you should probably lose your insurance. I want to be crystal clear on this because there are some capitalists who say capitalism ought to have a conscience and that, and that if, if they are uh, privately funded or and individuals deserve to put their money where they want to put their money. Are you saying that the government just shouldn't be able to, to, to codify where uh, folks can put their money? Well, I'm saying any institution that enjoys the backing of the federal government and the backing of the taxpayers shouldn't be picking the winners and losers based on anything other than the traditional cost-benefit analysis and risk ma- analysis in, in the, the established criteria. And rather than, than say this, wokeness or this pressure they're getting from proxies and, and advocacy groups, um, you know, if, unless, of course, you don't want to be FDIC insured, and of course, that would have negative how, impact. How has this impacted the energy sector in North yeah, Dakota? So, so energy is a good example because energy you know, takes a lot of capital, whether it's, you know, drilling a well in the Bakken, building an interstate pipeline, um, you know, gas wells, coal mining, utilities that maybe want to retrofit their large uh, you know, their large boiler with uh, clean coal technologies, for example. Um, those take a lot of capital, and it takes all kinds of capital, you know, equity capital, uh, traditional financing, things like that. And so you could put, you know, you could put them out of business. And what you'd be doing by that is you'd be driving those same industries and businesses to other countries that don't have the same type of high standards of environmental protection that we do in the United States. Let's talk States. about pipelines. Let's talk about coal. Uh, lawmakers just passed a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. There's no money for retraining. This new administration has proposed executive orders that, have, that are clear shifts from the previous administration mm-hmm. on energy policy. Are you concerned about retraining purposes, not just for uh, uh, college age and newly graduate mm-hmm. individuals, but people in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, who are working in an energy environment that now is being restructured? Well, I'm worried. Not only am I worried about them not being able to be retrained, I'm worried about the fact that they should be. You know, they are in legal, good, solid industries with innovators who have made America more prosperous. They've made a, they've made the world safer. Uh, our national security is dependent to a great degree on our on our energy security. And so um, I find the whole notion of, of undoing America's energy dominance and you know retreating and, and acquiescing to other countries ridiculous. I hear you on that point, but I have to push here. Should you and should lawmakers on both sides of the aisle be doing more and pushing for more funds in order for retraining purposes, especially when this this shift has already occurred in the first month well, of Kevin, Biden I'm a strong advocate for that anyway. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather you know, uh, invest in people's education than their incarceration. Um, frankly, I think that in the education system in our country, we ought to put more money towards skills training. We ought to put more emphasis toward 
training people to do the jobs that are available rather than the jobs they wish they that were available. So I think we could, in a bipartisan fashion, look at that very closely. Infrastructure. How how are lawmakers going to pay for it? I think there's there upwards of three trillion dollars. Some estimates are putting this at. Well, it all depends on the perspective you bring. But if you look at the fact that we just borrowed two trillion dollars to just cast this big wide net and do all kinds of crazy things, um, you know, borrowing it wouldn't be a bad idea in, in that context. However, I don't think there are a lot of Republicans that want to borrow any more trillions of dollars to add to the already depleting, however. Um, highway trust fund. We need to figure out a way. I think one of the ways with regard to, to surface transportation is to find some way to charge all of the users of the highway, including electric vehicles. As you know, the, the trust fund is going down yep. because gas demand is going down, but miles are not. We have to find a different way to formulate that. Um, but I also think we ought to get creative. I think we ought to look at things like, for example, fossil fuel development on federal lands. Rather than shutting it down, how about we find it, use it as a way to appropriately fund the Highway Trust Fund and, and other infrastructure. A lot of infrastructure can be done by the private sector if you just get out, get out of their way rather than make it more expensive to do things like pipelines. And this is fascinating to me because I think right there is the ideological debate and difference that mm -hmm. will shape the infrastructure debate uh, as we move forward. The other week I interviewed Senator Elizabeth Warren. She has proposed, as you know, uh, increasing taxes uh, mm -hmm. on uh, billionaires as well as the ultra-wealthy. The administration, including Secretary Yellen, have proposed in many ways raising the corporate tax rate mm -hmm. back to, to 28%. What I'm hearing from you is that that would drive foreign investment and other investment and capital away from the United States, and that there's other solutions. There's no question. I mean, take the corporate income tax, going yeah. from 21 to 28. Remember, the reason that we had such a solid economy prior to the pandemic and the reason why it's growing so quickly back to that now is because we were able to lower corporate in interest rates, as well as other things. We made it easier to repatriate, you know, stranded U.S. funds that were that were generated overseas um, with our tax structure. T to go backwards on that at a time like this, to, well, at any time, seems completely counterproductive. Final topic, just on from a national security perspective on the semiconductor chip mm -hmm. shortage that uh, a host of different committees, including the banking committee, has, has started to discuss diversifying the supply chain away from China. Mm -hmm. um, there are some minerals in your state. There uh, are. How, how do you, or, 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 is that an area of bipartisanship that you think there could be some cohesion on, especially in a week where Secretary Blinken is traveling overseas? Well, so there are a couple of things there, but particularly the threat of China. The threat of China has become a very bipartisan issue. Uh, it took some people a while to get there, but that is becoming low-hanging fruit for those that like to see bipartisan work, and I think you're going to, going to see some of that here soon. I think when it comes to rare earth minerals and, and that are necessary for chip manufacturing, for example, the, the vulnerability of American supply chains in lots of industries, including the chip industry, including uh, pharmaceuticals, including food, we've seen that vulnerability and what that can do to us. Why we acquiesced a lot of this stuff it previously is unfortunate. I, I don't know why, but now it's time to get it back. So I do think there's a lot of bipartisan support for things like that. Senator, how's Carson Wentz doing since he left my birds? Carson Wentz, the last conversation I had a couple of weeks ago, he's fired up, ready to play for a, um, a Super Bowl. And when the, the, see Christine Barada, our executive producer, just cut off the end of that uh, Carson Wentz talk because it that was a clear shot from Senator Kevin Kramer to the other Kev, Kevin Cirilli, that uh, Carson Wentz needed a different team to win a Super Bowl. Some would make the case that the Eagles needed a new quarterback. It's a 
uh, to win a Super Bowl. Uh, Jeannie Shanzano is with us. She is the uh, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Jeannie. What did you think of the interview, your analysis? Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. I think that the issue of the Fair Access to Banking Act is one that fascinates me, so I was so happy you started Thank there. You. But that you, you you got through so many other things, too. But to me, it is fascinating that you see Republicans here taking an issue and you know it's something i think that could lead to a slippery slope we certainly heard Mm -hmm. so i'm fascinated by his answer to that well exactly we'll have much more coming up next i'm kevin cerulli this is bloomberg Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by none other than Bill McGinley, principal at the Vogel Group, former White House cabinet secretary and former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee and, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sean Zeno. Jeannie, I've got my green shamrock socks on and my green tie in honor of St. Patrick's Day. I know you're Irish. I'm 50% Irish and 50% Italian, 100% on my mom's side, 100% on my dad's side. But, uh, you know, you got your green on. I have my green on, and you know I'm the same as you, 50-50. Yep. I'm going to split. <laughs> and, yep. uh, but I've got my green on today, and I'm wishing everybody happy St. Patrick's Day and hoping next year we have a parade here in New York City again and uh, all across the country because I missed that. You know, I always say I, I grew up in an Irish-Italian-Catholic household. It was hard to get a word in edgewise, <laughs> so I saved up for a radio show. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and my mother, Chicky, that's her name. She said to me the other week, Kev, I should have a radio show. I thought, here we go. <laughs> you know, I've long said your mother should have a show. So she should. <laughs> she's you know, do it. <laughs> give her an inch. She'll take a mile. <laughs> Love you, mom. All right. Let's talk geopolitics. Um, that, she's the Irish mother. So, you know, got to give her a shout out. Let's talk <laughs> geopolitics. Did you see this, Bill and Jeannie, that President Biden, he gave this interview with ABC News. I thought it was a fascinating interview. Kudos to George Stephanopoulos. I mean, it was really fascinating. This was the sot, as we call it in the biz, that really jumped out at me because I've got sound on this in Russia. President Biden sound on Russia because he said that he talked to Russian President Vladimir Putin about election meddling back in January. But he also believes that Putin is responsible for other human rights abuses. Take a listen to the sound on this exchange. President Biden, George Stephanopoulos, talking about Russia. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm-hmm. I do. So what price must he pay? The price he's going to pay, well, you'll see shortly. Wow. Bill McGinley, your reaction. Sounds like the Biden administration's putting its focus uh, squarely on Russia while keeping an eye on China. Look, I think, you know, that the intelligence community has come out 
uh, with a couple of reports saying that Russia has engaged in election meddling in 2020 uh, and obviously back in 2016. Um, the Biden administration, in a way, ran on a platform that they were going to stand up to Russia um, as a result of the uh, of the information contained in those reports. I think the President Biden laid down a clear marker. Now he's going to have to follow through. I would have much rather seen him take a more measured approach uh, in that response. It was a very strident question. Um, and we're just going to have to see what they come forward with. But he's set a pretty high bar on how he's going to deal with Russia going forward on these issues. That that soundbite, uh, uh, Jeannie, really jumped out at me. I mean, I, I had to, I had to, when I saw the headline across the Bloomberg terminal earlier this morning, I, I, I thought, wow. I mean, I actually went. You, you hear it in the audio and the video. It, it even, I think, illustrates the point further than the than the transcript. It does. And, you know, this is... He calls him a killer. He calls him a killer. And this is, and I agree with Bill, it was a strident response. And let's not forget, you know, I kept thinking about Obama with his red line. Very, Mm. very difficult to lay out a line like that because now you have set the bar. And I just want to also note... We need to work with Russia on things like the upcoming withdrawal from Afghanistan. So Mm -hmm. you're using language like that on the one hand, and yet we are working with them in terms of what to do about Afghanistan. Those that makes this very, very complicated. And I'm curious to see how he balances both of those. And it's not just Afghanistan that we work with Russia on as well. Bill, you do this so uh, greatly in terms of your analysis. And so I, I, I said this to my colleague uh, Tom Keene on Bloomberg Surveillance earlier in the week, but I, I want to raise this issue here. On the one hand, you get this development from President Biden talking about Russia. At the same time, his Secretary of State, the nation's top diplomat, is uh, traveling overseas and, and meeting with allies and meeting with Japan uh, on on China. And this, from my reporting, I think would be the most pressing week in uh, so far in Joe and President Biden's uh, a time in office, just as Secretary Blinken is traveling and meeting in Alaska uh, tomorrow with his counterparts in Beijing. And now President Biden is using language like killer for, for Russia, President Vladimir Putin. Just try to, to capture that moment for us and the significance of that. I, I think, number one, it's a very consequential week. I mean, with the president laying down uh, the marker on Russia at the same time that the U.S. delegation is going to meet the Chinese uh, delegation. And the Chinese have already said their primary ask in that meeting is going to be to completely change the, the U.S. policy toward China uh, in economic terms. And so there are some very high stakes going on with each of these meetings. And the Biden administration is uh, once again being reminded uh, that these geopolitical forces that we currently have in this pandemic um, are multidimensional and that this is not going to be these are not going to be easy waters to navigate. And the Biden administration is going to have to keep the pressure on China, uh, both in terms of the information warfare that's going on, uh, the economic warfare that's going on, uh, but also a lot of the aggressive moves that China is making in the South China Sea and Russia continuing to be as aggressive as they are um, in terms of their cyber uh, attacks. So yeah, I, this yeah. is, these are high stakes. High stakes, and the stakes continue to get higher. Much more coming up next with the All-Star Policy Panel. I'm Kevin Cerulli. This is Bloomberg.
Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1. To New York, Bloomberg 11.30. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. A former journalist turns into a house member. Don't miss my exclusive conversation with Florida Republican Congresswoman Maria Salazar. You do not want to miss this interview. She's a rising star in Republican politics, and she just visited the U.S.-Mexico border. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm accompanied none other than by Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg politics contributor, and Bill McGinley, who is former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee and a principal at the Vogel Group. Uh, Let's continue to talk about uh, geopolitics, uh, especially in light of uh, President Biden's interview with ABC News, a rare interview, might I I add. Uh, He was asked about the situation uh, along the U.S.-Mexico border, which has continued to intensify uh, and, and, and grab the attention of lawmakers in the halls of Congress. I mentioned this because coming up, we're going to hear uh, from Congresswoman Maria Salazar, who's a Republican from Miami-Dade County in Florida, and she just visited the border. But President Biden was asked about this on Good Morning America earlier, and he says that the recent migrant surge at the U.S.-Mexico border could be the worst that's been seen in a few years, but also says that his team is setting up a process to allow people to apply for asylum in their home nations. Take a listen to the sound on immigration from President Biden. Yes, I can say quite clearly, don't come. And what we're in the process of getting set up, and it's not going to take a whole long time, is to be able to apply for asylum in place. We have brought in, brought in HHS and also brought in FEMA to provide for enough safe facilities for them to not to get out of the control of the Border Patrol, which are not designed to hold people for a long period of time, particularly children. Jeannie Shanzano, you and I have talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, The immigration policy issue does pose a political risk to upend the administration's plans to tackle other policy items such as infrastructure and uh, taxes as uh, before they address this issue, does it not? It does. And I think one thing I'm fascinated by is that, you know, Joe Biden did finally say in that interview, which was don't come just yet. Um, But I've heard from Democrats on the border, and these are obviously not conservatives, that the message needs to be a lot clearer than that. You can't just say, don't come yet, because they are getting very different messages elsewhere. And so one of the things I think the president's going to need to think about is his messaging on this. And the other thing is, of course, how much is he going to invest in pushing for immigration reform in a Congress in which it is going to be very difficult to get that done. Um, And he's got this looming crisis. So obviously on the border, he can't turn his back on that. And we heard that in the interview. Bill, I mean, you know, look, let's be candid. Republicans under President Trump's uh, time in office took a lot of criticism for for the divisiveness of this issue. But now, you know, President Biden's turn. What's President Biden going to do on immigration? I I, I mean, is is there an opportunity for there to be... uh, 
any type of, of consensus building ar- around what has largely eclipsed policymakers in both parties for, I would say, more than a decade. And I think, you know, it's it's time to recognize that immigration is one of the most complicated policies to get any legislation through Congress on. Uh, I would think it's even worse than uh, health care. And I think that's wow. a pretty high bar. Wow. But at the end of the and, 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 and I think the reason is, is because, um, you know, America is built on immigrants. Um, but, you know, what the American people want is they want to have a system that works that permits legal immigration while stopping illegal immigration so that people have to go through the process before gaining entry. And the cornerstone of that policy has got to be border security. Um, and right now, the Biden administration seems to be um, kind of in the mumble tank a little bit on how they're going to address the border security issue, especially during a pandemic where people are not being screened before they're gaining entry, um, but also because how they're going to do the asylum process, um, because it sounds a lot like what they're going to do is catch and release, which is the people are brought into custody their process, they're supposed to get a trial date, but they're released and supposed to come back um, for that immigration hearing. It's an extremely complicated uh, topic. Um, And right now, the Biden administration, I think, is learning the hard realities of what these border surges were like uh, in the Trump administration. Well, and I mean, and and this only further complicates the issue, which is the filibuster reform. Um, If you look at the New York Daily News, Uh, They report President Biden is not ruling out a push for reforming the Senate filibuster rule in order to pass a sweeping immigration plan that would provide a path to citizenship for the millions of people who are in the United States illegally. Take a listen to what President Biden had to say about the filibuster reform in his interview with ABC News. Here's the sound on the filibuster. So you're for that reform. You're for bringing back the talking filibuster. I am. That's what it was supposed to be. I don't think you have to eliminate the filibuster. You have to do it what it used to be when I first got to the Senate. So you had to stand up and command the floor. It almost is getting to the point where there's, you know, democracy's having a hard time functioning. So then Senator Joe Manchin, uh, Jeannie, came out today, the centrist Democrat from West Virginia, and uh, he has said essentially that he he, he closed this door Um and said that he was not there, not in favor of it. But either way, it's a bargaining chip from President Biden's perspective. It is a bargaining chip from his perspective. Joe Manchin, to me at least, in the last several weeks, I've been confused by his responses, sometimes seeing being open to some type of reform and other times not. But I'll tell you who's completely taken a, a, a very strong uh, view of this, and that's Mitch McConnell, as he mm-hmm. said on the floor the other day, um, that this would be, what did he say, a 100-car pileup where nothing moves. Now, it can't get much worse than it has been the last few years, quite frankly, with nothing moving in Congress. But it if that's the threat, because what the Democrats have to remember, we're at a 50-50 Senate. So, you know, this is, you know, really, really going to be tough if they try to move this forward. But if Joe Biden doesn't, what are the progressives going to do? They will not be happy about things like voting reform, let alone immigration yeah, yeah. and everything else on their agenda. Yeah, and it comes down to the, the cloture motion and whether or not there's that 60 vote threshold and Wow, I, it would forever change the dynamics of the Congress. Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Let's head now to my exclusive conversation with Florida Republican Congresswoman Maria Salazar, who just visited the southern border to see the crisis firsthand, along with House Republican Leader Kevin McCarthy. I asked her what needs to be done about what's happening at the border Take a listen to what she told me. I presented today what I call the dignity path or the dignity plan in order to finish writing it with the Democrats. And what does it say? That we have to bring out of the shadows 11 million people that have lived here for more than five years. I'm not sure if you know that 80% of the 11 million plus undocumented people in the United States have been here for more than five years, have American children, they have, uh, they, have, um, they have paid taxes, they have not committed a crime, they have possessions, and all they want to do is work and have dignity. So when I hear the Democrats talking about that we're going to give you an immigration reform law and that we're going to give you a path to citizenship, all that is fine and dandy, but in reality is that it hasn't happened. So I am very upset and uh, very concerned that the Democrats are, conti- are going to continue playing political football with the Hispanics. Well, because the-, the empirical evidence is that they haven't done anything since Ronald Reagan in 1986. Well, Congressman, I say this respectfully, but let me press you here. I don't think... Any party has done anything to be able to find a solution. This has been an issue for uh, predating the Trump years. And so yeah, what's, you know what's different the difference? about now? I want to tell you, Democrats have always promised. Republicans have not led the charge in this issue. So if in 2009, President Barack Obama said to Spanish television, where I used to work at, that he was going to do an immigration reform law the first 100 years of his presidency. And what did he do? He gave that political capital to Obamacare. That's fine. You can put your political capital, whatever you think it's best. But then don't promise 60 million Hispanics, the largest minority in the country, 20% of the population of this country, that you're going to do an immigration reform law. And then on top of that, do not promise President Biden now in 2020 the same thing. Within my first 100 days of my presidency, I'm going to do an immigration reform law. You know what they have presented? Something that they know will never pass. Let's talk business, because the business community has a role here. But the business community has a role here, whether it's Silicon Valley or whether it's Wall Street or the Main Street even and small and medium-sized companies. What what should the business community be pushing for in this immigration debate? Because this affects them. Absolutely. And I think that's exactly why I'm here, because everybody that is watching us, people that need hands to fill those jobs. Last year, we had 6 million jobs more than hands. In 2035, According to the experts, 35% of the labor force needs to come from immigrants 
because we don't have enough people, thank God, because we have such a fantastic economy. So what do we need? We need to bring whomever the marketplace needs, whether it's an engineer, a doctor, or somebody that needs to pick up jalapeno peppers in Southern California. It's whatever the market dictates. That's what I agree. That, that's what I think we should do, market reform. But then on top of that, I mean, merit-based for the market to decide. But then the immigration reform needs to include the asylum process, which we know the coyotes and the traffickers are gaming the system. We cannot do that anymore. And then we cannot get, we cannot incentivize those families that are being promised, hey, yeah, you pay me $10,000, I'm not going to... I'm going to put you over the, the border and you're going to be able to find a job. We cannot do that anymore because that is not good for the Hispanic Americans. What should happen with the wall at the border? I think that we should have the best technology we could find that involves many different things like guards and whatever you need. I'm not an expert in technology, but I think that we need to secure the border and then in that border have very wide doors that will allow people in a legal fashion, people that will come to contribute to the country. I gotta say, how come we're still talking about a wall? I mean, I thought this was supposed to be settled. I thought this was something that Congress was supposed to address. Well, I'm talking about technology. No, I know you are. No, I know. Technology, whatever works. I guess what I'm saying is what is going to be different? Do you feel that now is is a marked difference in the debate right now for lawmakers to actually pass something? Well, I certainly hope, and that is what I am reaching yeah. out across the aisle and across the country, and I'm inviting all the business groups mm-hmm. to come and join us, Republicans, because, you know, one of the things that I do want to say is that Republicans, we are also compassionate. We are not a bunch of racists. We're not incompassionate. We feel for those people that are crossing the border and for those who live in the shadows. We want to solve both ends of the spectrum, but we need the other side. And that's why I'm saying I'm I'm reaching out to my Hispanic colleagues in, in the House to sit with us so we can finalize this issue. And then we'll be able to protect two communities, the ones who live here and the ones who are trying to come in. Before we got on air, you described to me the situation for those 3,000 teenagers uh, who are, and their families who are down in Texas right now. Oh, it's, it's, it's so sad that you have, I, I went to El Paso, and what I can say to you is that the facility is clean, the kids are divided by age group, so the 13 are with the 13 and the 17 are with the 17. We don't want to mix those, and the girls are with the girls and the boys are with the boys. But we do not know what happened to those children while they were coming here. And I was saying that child sex trafficking is increasing in this country. That's horrible to say. Kids that have been kidnapped from their parents and now being trafficked for sexual activities. On top of that, all the girls that are being raped by the coyotes and the traffickers. Do you think that they really care? No, they promise false hopes to their parents. And everybody wants to come to the United States. Absolutely. And then at the end, you know what we need to do? We need to give incentives to the American companies to go to Nicaragua, to go to Guatemala, to go to Honduras with tax breaks, with whatever it takes for them to be able to provide those jobs and keep those boys home. Congresswoman, you're a member of the House Foreign Relations Correct. Committee. So let's the talk- subcommittee for the Americas. And, yes. and, and those countries that you just named. China's making a play for via technology and and, and, and we're allowing it. So how how can we stop it? We got to create a Marshall plan. 
is our backyard. I used to live there because I was a Central American bureau chief for Univision during the Salvadorian Civil War. I know them very well. They love the gringos. They love the Americans. What are we doing? We're just giving that territory to the Chinese. What we have to do is we have to invade the territory with American companies, with American families. Everybody that wants to go down to Central America should go right now. Any business that wants to set up shop there should go right now because it's our natural background. And you know, on top of that, they love the Americans because everybody wants to come to this country. Those democratic socialist colleagues on the other side that are, say, that are, that are saying that the system doesn't work, listen, the American system still the best. The American exceptionality, everybody wants to live in. That was Congresswoman Maria Salazar. She's a Republican from uh, Florida, Miami-Dade County. Uh, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Uh, she's clearly a rising star within the party. I was thrilled to be able to interview her uh, today to get her perspective, especially on uh, immigration. Uh, and and she talks about geopolitics in uh, in uh, the the Latin American region. Uh, and we went on to talk about China and the influence of them uh, influencing that particular region. She is going to be a dominant voice uh, in this party, potentially for many years to come. She is, and I think a very important voice, particularly for Democrats to listen to. David Shore, mm. the data scientist, the Democrat Barack Obama pointed to his recap of 2020 and said, Democrats are overstating Hispanic support, which they lost in the 2020 election because they're exaggerating their liberal views. And she is a representative of what some Democrats are saying the data doesn't support in terms of views towards Hispanic voters, particularly as it mm -hmm. pertains to immigration. And by the way, I mean, identity politics aside, uh, a leader in her own right, uh, the former bureau chief uh, for, for Univision, I mean, no small feat uh, uh, to someone who's in the media industry. Uh, and, and to see that transformation that she went and the reinvention that she went under, just a fascinating political figure in, you know, Florida, a state that has been uh, trending more Republican in recent years. Uh, it, it, the way that she's pitching immigration, um, I would argue, is much more akin to the Bush years, uh, that compassionate conservatism. You heard her use the word compassionate. So a fascinating development in the immigration debate. Great to speak with her uh, earlier today. Uh, February is Women's History Month, and uh, Bloomberg Radio is looking back at some of those who played a vital role in American history. And here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 1969, Golda Meir is elected as Israel's first female prime minister. She was only the country's fourth prime minister. Meir began her career as a Zionist labor organizer. Later on, she held several positions in the Israeli government, including Minister of Foreign Affairs and Minister of Labor. And upon the sudden death of Prime Minister Levi Eshkol in 1969, Mayer was chosen as his successor. During her tenure, Mayer gained a reputation as a savvy diplomat. She saw the country through the Yom Kippur War in 1973, after Syria and Egypt launched a surprise attack on Israel. And partially due to her ailing health and age, Mayer resigned in October 1974. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. And happy St. Patrick's Day from Mimi's grandson, Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.